Well, good morning. Let's uh, turn in our Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 6. And we'll be looking at verses 1 through 10. Um, and as you're turning there, let's just kind of recap briefly what we've been talking about. Uh, if you haven't been here recently, uh, the first four chapters of this book of Galatians has really been talking about the false teachers, the ideas that they've been introducing into the Galatian church, and really introduced legalistic ideas about faith alone in Jesus Christ is not enough, that there is something more that needs to be done, that it's faith plus the law, faith plus circumcision. Uh, and ultimately, the conclusion that we find through Paul's very well-constructed argument is that faith alone in Jesus Christ is the only way that we have justification. There is no other way, faith alone in Jesus Christ, and then in chapter 5, we've dealt with the consequences of a legalistic idea and how it essentially makes Christ's work on the cross of no value, how it leaves a person hopeless. And then we had two weeks ago, Daniel speaking about um, what it looks like to love our neighbors, what it looks like when love is exemplified. Um, and then after that, just last week, Luke talked about um, the difference between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And as we know, the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And now we reach chapter 6. Chapter 6 is where Paul now gives us, he's talked about the fruit of the Spirit. Now is it, how do we practically live this out? How do we practically walk in the Spirit? And so he gives us seven examples here in Galatians 6, 1 through 10, and will uh, hopefully be a, a sermon that helps um, clearly uh, give us uh, practical ways that every day we can live out um, walking in the Spirit. So let's read in Galatians chapter 6, and we'll go verses 1 through 10. It says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, <clears throat> and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches." Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the, will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all especially to those who are of the household of faith. Uh, I watched a movie um, it's about two years ago now um, called Hacksaw Ridge. Um, I don't know if anyone's familiar with this movie, um, but the movie itself, I'm not necessarily supporting it or promoting it, but uh, the movie itself is about a World War II American uh, medic who is named Desmond Doss. Uh, and Desmond Doss he fought in probably one of the most gruesome, bloodiest battles that there were in World War II. 
Uh, I think there's something close to over 100,000 casualties uh, occurred in that battle alone. Um, and Desmond uh, decided at an early age that he was not going to take part in using any kind of weapons. He wasn't going to fire a gun. Instead, he wanted his sole purpose to be on the battle lines to help wounded soldiers. He wanted to go out there and help those who had fallen down and bring them back and recuperate them and get them back to safety. Um, he, at an early age, began studying uh, how the body works. He began studying how uh, you know, to put a tourniquet on, how to uh, prevent the bleeding, what kind of uh, bandages to use, all those things he studied. And uh, all the while, uh, as an army medic, he went uh, really beyond his call of duty. He went and uh, not just rescued the people who were just nearby him, he actually went past the enemy lines and would rescue those who were there. And not only just the people behind the enemy lines, he'd even bring back some of his own enemies and, and, and rescue them too. Uh, all the while dodging bullets, uh, the grenade fragments that would blow up, the, the landmines that he was being careful to avoid, all the while risking himself uh, for the sake of those wounded soldiers. And probably uh, one of the most memorable uh, pictures that stay in my mind is uh, in one of the scenes he is uh, taking a, a man out who recently had a grenade blow up near him and now he's unable to fully put, put weight on both the legs. So what he does is he wraps his arm around him and basically helps carry him off as he needs help to get off the battlefield lines. And, um, and ultimately, he does this for over 75 different soldiers. 75 soldiers that would have likely died had he not been there to rescue them. Um, in, another, in another instance, he actually helps a man who can't even get his feet off the ground. He's just so in incapable of it. He actually puts him over his shoulders and walks him off the battle lines together with, with that man. Um, he, I think he ultimately got uh, numerous medals for uh, his service in the war, uh, as well as just the recommendation uh, of all his colleagues. You can hear countless documentaries about uh, how, what they thought of him and how uh, they appreciated what he did for them. And I really want to use this picture not uh, necessarily just for what Desmond did, but really to use this as a picture of what um, we are to do as believers for those who are our wounded brothers, our wounded fellow soldiers. Um, because in Galatians chapter 6, 1 through 5, Paul really instructs us on how to handle a brother who has fallen into sin, a brother who is been on the battle lines, and the enemy has attacked them. The devil has uh, tempted them with a the sin. They've fallen into this sin, and now they need our help to get up again. And I really hope that this picture will kind of just give you a visual of what we are to do uh, every day for our fellow believer who has fallen into sin. Um, I, I want to give you an example. Let's say that you have a brother or sister you know that's been faithfully serving in the church. They've been coming, serving in different ministries, and one day you hear that they've fallen into a sin. Maybe, um, maybe it's a sin that uh, they've had a previous history with. Maybe it was something that uh, prior to coming to know the Lord, they were involved with drugs. They were involved with um, different types of illicit drugs. But they've been clean, and the Lord has really changed their lives. But when they began hanging around this new group of friends, they went and were invited to a party. And at the party, they had drugs. And ultimately, they ended up relapsing back into drugs. And they've not intentionally trying to get into that, but being around those people, the memories flooded them again. 
the, the temptation was there, they've fallen into this sin. Maybe it's a brother or sister who recently got into a relationship, uh, and it happened to be that they didn't set proper boundaries, there wasn't anybody necessarily around them at this time, and they ended up committing immoral acts. Didn't intend to do it, wasn't their intention at all, but they fell into this sin. Maybe it's somebody who's struggled with alcoholism, and the Lord has cleaned that up from their lives. And again, maybe it's a birthday party or someone celebrating uh, 4th of July, and there's drinks there, and there's a temptation, nobody's watching them, nobody knows that they're struggling with that sin, and yet they, and then they go and they, and they have a drink, and it bring, brings back memories to them of the times when they would get drunk with their friends, the times when they would uh, get totally uh, inebriated, and, and they've fallen into this sin. And whatever the sin may be, you hear about this sin, you know that your brother is involved in this sin, you become aware of it. What would you do? And uh, I know many people's reaction would be disbelief, they'd be saddened that this brother has fallen away into this sin, uh, you know. But ultimately, what plan of action, what would you do in response to this? Would you pretend that the sin didn't happen? Would you say, well, you know, that's, that's their life, that's, that's what's happening with them, that's, the Lord will deal with that. Would you just avoid altogether talking about that with them? Or would you instead say, how dare you? What a fool. How could you think to do such a thing like that? You know better than that. You are serving in the church. You know far better. How foolish. And rebuke them harshly. And, and say, you know what? I'm not even going to talk with you until you deal with this. What would you do? What is your response? I've seen both sides of that. I've seen both responses to these uh, to these situations. And these are very real situations that happen. But Paul is saying here, if we desire to walk in the Spirit, the first thing that we're commanded to do is to restore a fallen believer. It says in verse 1, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespasses, any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. And in the movie Hacksaw Ridge, uh, Private Desmond Doss was told numerous times that, you know what, this is not worth it. Don't keep going back for those people. That's too risky. They're not worth your saving. There's, you know anything about triaging? There's people far worth, far worse, uh, far worth more, sa- far more worth saving than these people are. Let them be. Uh, there's, an, uh, there's an old saying that even says, you know, you've made your bed, now lie in it. Essentially, you know, it's too bad. It happens. You know, that's what you got involved with. That's what happened. It's too bad. But this really should not be our response to fallen believers. Our response should not be to ignore them and to let them figure it out. It shouldn't be to excuse the sin either, though. Our response should not be to put the believer down. God's plan for a fallen believer has been and always will be restoration. God is in the business of restoring a fallen believer. And our role is to go out to that battlefield where that brother has fallen, where that brother is, is wounded and needs our help, and to bring them back, to help bring them back to the Lord and restore them. And the question is, well, then who is commanded to do this? I don't, I don't think I'm, I'm, you know, you might think I'm not, I'm not qualified for this. I don't, I, I, you know, I'm not, uh, it says those who are spiritual are to restore them. Well, I, I don't consider myself a super Christian. Well, if there even was such a thing as a super-Christian, the Lord is not asking for a super-Christian. And it's not a command that's only for elders or for only for deacons. Uh, this is a command to anybody who 
as a solid scriptural knowledge, who maybe has a background with that same temptation or that same sin, and they found victory in the Lord through that sin. They found a way that the Lord has helped them to overcome that sin. Somebody who is walking in a God-like manner, following the Lord each day, um, that is someone who would be a spiritual person who would come alongside that brother and say, you know what, I've felt the exact same way. I have experienced that exact same thing. Can I, be, I, I can be accountable to you. I can, I can build you up. I can uh, pray for you each and every day. You know what, if you're feeling tempted, call me. If you feel that, you know what, this is a bad party to be at, I will, I will hang out with you instead. If you feel like, you know, two in the morning, three in the morning, you're tempted right now, give me a call. Whatever it is, avoid that sin and be there for that brother. You who are spiritual, restore such a one. And uh, the question then is, then how do we do this? How are we to restore them? Do, is, is the restoration done by giving them harsh rebukes and saying, you know, again, how foolish of you, how naive. It's such a simple sin to avoid. Come on. Is that really how we're supposed to do it? No. We're to restore that brother in the spirit of gentleness. And if you actually look at the word gentleness, it, the word really is, is meekness. The idea of, of humility, of, of lowliness. Um, remembering that gentleness is one of the fruit of the spirits or one of the evidences that the spirit is working in our lives. I mean, I, I think about just how God deals with us when we fall into sin. It, does God, when we sin, does he come down with harshness, with uh, just absolute um, wrath, each time, thunders and lightning bolts? Is that how he comes down when we, when we fall into sin? No. If we read in Romans 2, it says, Romans 2, 4, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? It's his, it's his gentleness, his patience with us. It's his kindness, his love to us. That is how he uh, leads us to repentance, by his gentle ways of dealing with us. And in the same way, when we see a brother who's fallen, when we come alongside that brother, it's our duty to come restore him gently, in the same way that Christ would restore us if we had fallen. It says, Consider yourself, lest you also be tempted. You know, it'd be foolish for a believer to try and help another one who's fallen down into sin, who's been tempted, and in the attempt to rescue them, they themselves also fall for the same temptation as well. I know some people, uh, you know, may say that, you know, well, this, uh, this sin, I, I don't think I would, you know, possibly fall into that sin. This may not be something that I have a temptation to. I, in my own abilities, can overcome that sin. I, I don't need, you know, it's okay. I, don't, I would never in a million years do that sin. But any believer is capable of committing any one of these sins. And, you know, maybe you've never been tempted with the sin. Maybe it's, you know, you think it's not an issue, but it's only by God's grace that we have this far in our life resisted that temptation. God does not, is not want a proud attitude thinking that, you somehow are able to, on your own ability, overcome these temptations, these sins. And if you have a prideful thought thinking that I'm, I'm greater than this sin, that somehow I, I could never commit such a sin, that pride will lead you to fall ultimately into sin. But if we come before a fallen believer knowing the temptations that the devil has, knowing our own sinfulness, knowing that we are both brothers who have 
before the Lord. He loves us. He died for us. Knowing that Christ has restored us gently in the past, knowing that we are to restore them gently, we should come before that brother aware of temptation so that we also don't fall into the same sin. And the next command that the Lord gives us is to bear one another's burdens. Verse 2 says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. In the movie, you see, you see Desmond Doss, the, um, the medic. He's bearing the burdens of his fellow soldiers on his shoulders. You see him bearing uh, you know, his, his fellow um, his fellow soldier just carrying him off as he needs um, because he can't walk on his own. He can't fully get up. And that really is the way of many believers when they've fallen into sin. You know, they're, they feel crippled. They, they've fallen into the sin. They didn't try to get into this way. They didn't mean to. But the temptation came. They fell into that temptation. They had been fooled by it. And now they need help to get back up again. And it's our goal as believers to come alongside them, like I said earlier, to say, you know what, in a spirit of gentleness, come up to them and say, you know, I really want to help you with this. I want to um, help get you back on your feet. Be accountable to them. Be there for them to get them back up and going again and walking again. And this may not just be an hour conversation. This may be a few days, maybe a few months, even a year potentially, to get them back on their feet and back on track where they need to be. But be there with them until they're ready to again walk on their own. Bear their burdens with them. Instead of criticizing them, instead of gossiping or or being on the sidelines, rush into that battlefield where they're at. Find that wounded brother and help them in any way you can. And now the burdens that are said here, they can refer, though, to, to a much greater extent to you know, the sorrows that we experience in life. Many people have gone through um, difficult, difficult things, losing, uh, losing loved ones to a disease, they themselves having a crippling disease. Um, it could be, you know, going through uh, a difficulty losing a child. It could be, um, it, it could be any number of things. <clears throat> Whatever they've gone through, oftentimes people will begin to have doubts, doubts of, you know, is God really good? Is he really, what he said, is it really true? Is it really, uh, you know, is, any, is everything I believe my whole life, is it all a sham? When, when, a tempta- when a trial comes like that, when a hardship in life comes like that, and it really should be our goal when we have a brother or sister uh, in that kind of vulnerable state where I've seen many people walk away from the Lord after experiencing something like that. But it should be our job to go up to them and knowing that they're going through such a hard, heavy burden right now in their life, and to bear and help encourage them in that moment, to help lift them up and remind them that the Lord is still good, that he is still faithful, that he is still the same as he was today, yesterday, and forevermore. It should be our job to help uh, bear those burdens with that person. And in doing so, we'll help them carry that load until they're able to move on from that time. And it says, and by bearing one another's burdens, we fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is found in John 13, 34 and 35. It says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And John 15 reiterates that in saying, this is my commandment, 
that you love one another as I have loved you. And this is different than the law of Moses. The law of Moses, as you remember, uh, talked a lot about um, obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, or obedience to the Lord. And in return, God would bless them. God would multiply them, make them a great nation. And if they didn't follow that, then in turn they would be punished because they didn't follow the commands that they had agreed to. But the, the sad thing was that they didn't have the power to obey these laws. They didn't have the ability to. The law of Christ, on the other hand, is a command to all who are believers. Believers who have been saved. Believers who have been given the Holy Spirit to help keep the commands of the Lord. And his command is to love one another. And our motivation for loving one another is not out of fear, it's not out of punishment. It's out of love because of what Christ has done in going to the cross and dying for our sins. That's our motivation. And essentially, uh, in chapter 1 through 4, the legalists were saying, you know, you have to follow this law, follow that law plus faith, the law plus faith. And all these burdens were being added to them. And Paul is saying, do you want to fulfill the law? <laughs> Great, then here's the law to fulfill, the law of Christ to love one another, to bear one another's burdens. And in doing that, you will fulfill the law of Christ. In effect, Paul is saying, instead of putting these burdens on people, instead of bearing them down with having to follow all these commands, we should be lifting up one another's burdens. And in doing that, we fulfill the law of Christ. The third commandment um, on how to walk in the Spirit is to eliminate prideful thoughts. It says in verse 3, For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Uh, many of the soldiers in the, uh, in the movie, they were so rude uh, and so cruel, and they would oftentimes even beat up the medic uh, initially when they met him because of his stance on, on not carrying a weapon and for his stance on, uh, and for his outspoken faith. They oftentimes refused uh, to even want him on their team. They said, you know, I don't want you at all. Uh, and yet, when it came down to battle and when it came down to these, when these, uh, these uh, fellow soldiers were wounded, he never refused to help them. He never said, you know what? <laughs> you said you hated me. You said you didn't want anything from me. Now I'm not going to help you. He didn't do that. He, regardless of who it was, enemies or his own fellow soldiers, he went out there and helped him. Uh, and it could have been very easily that pride could have gotten into his, you know, into his mind, his head, and said, you know what, that's it, I'm not helping you. But he didn't. He went out faithfully each time. He looked at them as equals. He looked at them as people on his own team. They're all fighting for the same purpose. And in the same way, we are all on the same team. We are all members of the body of Christ. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. But do we say to our, our fellow believer, you know, I love you, but we don't really think that their time is worth it to help them. Or we love you, but, you know, it's really not worth the effort uh, following up with you about this. Or I love you, but it's really not, I got better things to do, honestly, with my time. I, got, I have work tomorrow, and then I have, you know, I'm supposed to hang out with my friends tomorrow. Do we really look at other people as more important than our own self? Or is it, you know, this is, you know, honestly, my time is more important to me. Pride will smother your ability to bear another's burdens and to minister to them effectively. 
Love, as we remember, it's not proud. It's not boastful. It doesn't think of oneself first. Love thinks of others first. We're all fallen sinners, all sinners who Christ has died for, all sinners that if we got what we deserved, we would be in hell. And if it wasn't for Jesus Christ coming humbly into this earth to die for us, we would be lost. We would be helpless. And if Christ, who is our example, humbled himself and rescued a sinner like me and you, then when we see a brother who's fallen, we should be ready to help them. We should humble ourselves and be willing to go before them and help them wherever they need help with. Remembering that if it wasn't for the grace of God, we could be involved in that same exact sin. Don't deceive yourself by thinking that somehow you are above caring for your brother's burdens. That somehow they are beneath you in any way. I want you to eliminate any prideful thoughts you have of being superior to your brother. Uh, Philippians 2 uh, and verse 3 and 4 says it so plainly. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem himself. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only to your own, not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. And essentially, what Paul is saying is, don't have a high estimation of yourself. You're only going to be deceiving yourself by thinking that you're loving your neighbor and bearing his burdens, but you're not truly loving him. Look at him in a loving manner. Care for his burdens. Be like Christ who humbled himself, who bore our burdens while we were still enemies and still without hope. The fourth thing is to examine our own works. Verses 4 and 5 speak on this. It says, But let each one examine his own works, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in others, for each one shall bear his own load. I think oftentimes when someone falls into sin, we have the tendency to want to compare ourselves with others, to want to think that, um, wow, how could they do such a thing like that? How could they... Uh, be so foolish to fall into that sin. I'm so glad I'm not like them. And uh, it reminds me of, that kind of attitude reminds me of Luke chapter 18, where you see two different men. And it says in verse, eight, uh, verse 10, it says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood up and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I possess. The man compared himself to a tax collector. He exalted himself. But God despises the proud. He despises those who come before in a boasting manner. He desires for people to come before him humbly. To humbly examine their works. Because each of us are individually responsible for what we do. The actions that we do. Because one day we will stand before the Lord and we'll have to give an account for the works that we have done, for the, uh, for the actions, for the deeds, for all the things that we do. And I want you to, to ask yourself these questions, uh, thinking about your own work that you've done. Does it bring glory to him? Does it magnify his name? Is he honored through the works that you do? Is it done out of love? And examining your works is not just a one-time thing that we do. It's something that we do on a continual basis. 
We do this not just once a year, once a week. It should be a continual thing every day, examining, is the, is the thing that I did today for the Lord, was that really done in the right way? Was God honored through what I just did? Was I seeking my own, my own praise out of that, or was I really doing it for the Lord's name? It says in uh, verse 5, for each one shall bear his own load. And we might think, well, this is contradicting what was said earlier about bearing another's burdens. But it's really not, because verse 2 is talking about bearing another brother who has fallen into sin to help them get back on their feet from that. Whereas in this verse, it's talking about an individual responsibility that as believers we will have to bear our own load, to bear um, our own load at the judgment seat of Christ where we will give an account for the services that we render to the Lord. And you might think, well, what is the judgment seat of the Lord? And the judgment seat of the Lord, I want to just stress, is not about salvation. Salvation is completely paid for, finished. When Jesus Christ died on that cross for your sins and you trusted him as your Savior, your salvation is dealt with. This deals completely with the reward that you'll receive for the work you do for him or the loss of rewards for service that wasn't done correctly for him. Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 3 talks about this, though, this day when we'll be responsible and have to give an account to the Lord. It says in verse 12, Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's works will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's works of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures... He will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet is through fire. And the idea that Paul is trying to stress here is that the foundation that we're building upon is the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. That's the foundation that we build our works upon. Um, and as believers, we have this great foundation. And, we, uh, and he's illustrating with building materials of what we build upon this foundation with. And the building materials, like I said, is uh, silver, gold, precious metals, wood, hay, and straw. And as you might imagine, the cheaper building materials, the ones that would easily be consumed in a fire, if it were to be tested under a fire, would be the wood, the hay, the straw. And that represents work that was not done out of love, lo uh, works that were done with an unrighteous motive, works that was really just done for self-seeking purposes, works that will not have any eternal value. And you have the good materials, the eternal value materials, which is the gold, the silver, the precious metals, the metals, uh, the works that were done out of love for Christ, out, out of wanting to proclaim his name, to magnify his name, to see souls saved, uh, works that was done for his glory. Those are the works that will have eternal value. Ultimately, all of our works will be examined. And it's for us to be continually examining our works and, and really seeing, is this doing work that will be glorifying to him? Is this work that will have eternal value? Or will it be simply burned up when tested under fire? Let it be our aim that at the end of our lives we can say, or we can hear from the Lord, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Let that be our goal, our desire to have the Lord glorified through what we do. And so we do that by continually examining our works and making sure that this is aligning with something that will glorify his name. 
The fifth command that he gives us is to support those who teach us. Um, this is found in verses 6 through 8. It says, Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the, fre- will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And I want you at this point to just think about somebody in your life who's had a, a huge spiritual impact on your life. It could be more than one person, but just think of somebody who's made a, a big spiritual impact on your life. It could be a preacher. It could be a, a teacher. Somebody who's uh, discipled you one-on-one. Someone who you've benefited from spiritually. Someone you can look back on and say, you know what? Without that person, I would not know about these facts found in the Bible. I would not have no, understood that passage. I would not have understood um, you know, this, uh, this important doctrine. Without that person, I would not be the same person I am today because they've taught me so much. Um, you know, and it, it could be more than one person, like I said, but just think about that person in your mind, someone who's really influenced your life spiritually. Think about the time and the energy that person put into your life. Think about um, the time they maybe spent putting together that message for you. That really, you, you think back on that message and that message has forever changed your life. Maybe it's the person who, they spent that time just putting together that Bible study. Maybe it was a person who put together that Sunday school lesson that as a, even as a, a young kid, you remember that, that specific day that you were there, that that really opened your eyes to see how the Lord wanted you to live your life. Maybe it was somebody who uh, spent that time preparing for that one-on-one Bible study, reading ahead, buying the books, making sure they were prepared to meet with you. Whoever that person is, they impacted your spiritual life, they, and you benefited from them from the sacrifices they made on your life. And the sacrifices could have been something as simple as less family time uh, with, them, with their family that week because they needed to focus on preparing for you. Maybe it was they needed to um, spend an extra time uh, going to the store to buy a certain illustration because that was going to really drive home their point. Maybe it was the person took the Saturday night off that normally they could hang out with their friends or family, but instead they decided, I'm going to make this a priority, and they put you first. Maybe it was someone they sacrificed um, missing work or missing something that they normally would schedule to do. Maybe it cost them financially. Maybe they lost sleep. Whatever it may be, they sacrificed from you and you benefited from their spiritual teachings. And the verse goes on here to say that those, um, let those who have been taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. And really what it's saying is that we should be um, sharing really with what we have, sharing financially, uh, sharing with them even material things that we have. It could be something that's as simple as going out to dinner with them, taking them to breakfast or lunch or whatever it may be. Maybe you have a special uh, gift in a certain field that, you know what, they have a repair that they need and you can go along there and help them with that. Go over to their house and, and share with them your knowledge, your expertise with them to benefit them. Share in all good things with them. And someone might think, well, it's a personal thing how much I give, you know, or don't give. It's something that no one's going to know beside me, so 
you know, I don't really know how practically anyone else will, will see that, but the thing is, it's not a personal thing. It's not a private thing because it says in verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. God keeps a full account of everything that the saints have invested into the teachers' lives and to those who have raised them up spiritually in their teachings. And God knows what we have given to them, whether it's small or great or nothing. Nothing is hidden from his sight either. You cannot fool God. He keeps a faithful account of what we have invested in the lives of our teachers. It says, For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. God continues the same thought by giving us an example of nature. And in nature, you have a farmer. He has a handful of seeds, and he goes out and scatters the seeds. And the seeds, oftentimes, I was looking it up, and actually, uh, with the one seed, you get back 30 times, 60 times, and even, even some plants get up to 100 times what you've sown for one seed. And uh, it's incredible to see that with just sowing to one thing, you've increased in such a, in such a, in such a multiple. And really, the, the point of that is being that whatever we sow to our spiritual teachers, that we will also reap. And reap, um, not financially per se, but reap in eternal value. Um, you have... Uh, them preaching to unbelievers, maybe for the first time ever, hearing the good news, then that person may be saved, and that person who got saved may go on to share the gospel. And exponentially, you have sown to that preacher, to that teacher. And sadly, many people still will not share, though, with those who have taught with them, with those who have ministered to them. So, so the two questions that to answer then is, well, what happens if I don't invest? and I just keep the money to myself, or I keep my time to myself, or I keep my expertise to myself? And what happens if we faithfully sow, if we faithfully minister to that person? And verse 8 really answers both of those questions. It says in verse 8, For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And to sow here, really, uh, it just means to spend your money on, on yourself. To sow to your flesh means to, to, to do things that make you happy, to things that please you, things that you indulge in, the luxuries of life. Um, but ultimately, sadly, our, our body will decay. Our body that we spend money on, that we indulge in, that we uh, give, really, it, ultimately, after 70, 80 years, 90 years even, if the Lord allows, will fail us. It will decay, it will rot. And then what eternal benefit did you derive from investing in yourself? What eternal benefit did you get from holding on to that goods? Because now that goods that you had will then go on to somebody and you have no idea how that next person will spend that money. No idea how that next person will invest that financial income that you had. If you invest in the flesh, you'll be sadly disappointed in your loss of eternal rewards. As many of you guys know, I'm actually starting a job um, in a few weeks. Uh, and as I was going uh, through the background checks of, uh, of the job, they do uh, what's just a physical. So they take you in, they, they examine, make sure that you're healthy enough to do this job. And when I went in for this exam, the lady uh, gave me what I always call at every job is the talk. And, um, 
and it happens every place I go. But it's always a, a more senior nurse or a more senior uh, administrator who will come there and talk with me and say, all right, now, if, I don't, if you don't learn anything else in life, this is what you need to hear. This is what you need to learn. And she said, you need to invest in yourself. You need to put every dollar you have into that 401k, into that, uh, into that pension that you have. You need that. If you don't, you will regret it greatly. You are the most important asset that you have. You are the most important person in your entire life. Nothing else matters but that you have that benefit of retiring at an early age, of getting that 20 to 30 years of retirement benefits. And uh, without fail, that's happened to every single job I've ever had. There's always somebody who gives me that talk. And really, if I followed her advice, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with saving up for the future, but if I followed her advice and I invested every penny I had, if I, if I gave myself every dollar I could possibly imagine, and I had a great retirement, maybe I had 20, 30 years retirement saved up, if I had that, first of all, if I even lived that long, first of all, but if I did have that, I live a life of comfortable living, I retire, I travel the world, and then what good does it benefit me? I die, I end up in the same box I would have ended up in in the first place. It really, I have nothing eternally to show for, nothing at all. But if I sow to the Spirit, if I use the financial things that God has given me to invest in His kingdom, in His furtherance of the kingdom, if I see myself give to that preacher who really made an impact on my life, and I see him go on to continue his work and support him that way. It's not that I'm losing money. He has given me benefit from his teaching. I am not the same person I was without him. And now I'm giving back to him and saying, thank you. I want to support you. I want to continue that work. You've changed my life. Now I want you to continue that same work in someone else's life. It's a sharing. We're sharing in all good things with those who have already taught us. And... Uh, it talks about those who sow to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. When we are saved, uh, our eternal life begins that very moment we are saved. But we enjoy it to a much greater extent when we are working alongside the Lord, supporting those who are faithful ministers of His. And even greater extent, when we get to heaven, we will enjoy the rewards of Christ giving us um, for our faithful service to Him. The sixth commandment that he gives us is to not grow weary. And I, I think this is uh, very nicely put here because I think it's a real possibility for believers to become discouraged, to think, you know what, I've done that. I've been investing. I've been giving to the Lord. I've, I've seen ministries uh, that I've put uh, time, effort to. I've given all my resources to. And I feel like I don't see the reward here and now. I don't see the initial, the immediate benefit. I'm getting kind of, I'm losing hearts in, in a way. I'm growing weary. And verse 9 tells us, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And uh, I just want to give you this encouragement. In Hebrews 6.10 it says, for God is not unjust to forget your work and your labor of love which you have shown toward his name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Investors who put money into stocks or they put money into whatever, they don't put $100 in and see $200 the next day. You don't see farmers throw 100 seeds and the next day you know, have the table ready to eat a giant crop of food. It doesn't work that way. And the same is, and the same is true spiritually. 
The reward that God promised us will come, but in due season, if we don't lose heart. Don't grow weary. Remember that God's promises are certain they will come to pass in due season. And the final and seventh way in which we can walk in the Spirit is by doing good to all men. It says in verse 10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. And as believers, we've been given the unique privilege of doing good to all. The idea is that, really, we should be looking out for opportunities, looking for ways to seize uh, in, which way we, in which we can help others, in which we can uh, <clears throat> support others, notice that the command uh, is to do good to all. And this is, uh, a lot of people, when they read this verse, they'll think, well, I do good to my friends and family. You know, I, I do good to the people I like. But it's more than just the people you like. It's your enemies. It's the ones who you hate, the ones who are hard to love, and everyone else in between that spectrum. Do good to all. And notice that our first responsibility, though, is to the household of faith. It means those who are fellow believers in Christ, those who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And they don't necessarily just have to go to this church. They can go to another church. Uh, but anyone who is of the household of faith. And what really drives us to do this is our love for our brother the love that we have for them. Daniel spoke about this. Loving one another is what drives us. And really, the love that we have for our fellow brother tells us of our love for God. John, uh, 1 John 4 tells us, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Loving our brother is a prerequisite for loving God. We cannot say that we love God and yet hate our brother and yet despise him or think less of him. We love our brother who Christ died for. He gave his life for him. That brother is precious in the sight of our Lord Jesus. And out of that abundant love that Christ has for that brother, we should also love that brother because that is a precious soul to him. Our primary focus should be to those of the household of faith, our brother and sisters in Christ, and then to the rest of the world. And I want to leave you guys with a challenge. And the challenge is, I want you to find two people this week who you can do good to. I want you to find at least two people. And the one person, I want that person to be a fellow believer, a brother and sister in Christ. Whether they go to this church, another church, or, rest, or in another part of the world. I want you to do good to that person. And the second person, I want you to do good to an unbeliever, one who is not yet a believer. I want you to seek out any opportunity you can have. Don't hesitate to offer your time, your resources, uh, anything that you have in your power to do, to do good to that person. And these opportunities um, really come up a lot more often than you'd think. Honestly, if you took every opportunity to do good that you had, you'd run out of time in a day. Um, and you might think, well, what, what kind of, what possible uh, things could I do good? It doesn't just come up all the time. I'll, just, I'll list just a few things I was able to come up with in less than five minutes. 
that we can do as things to do good to others. Like we talked about earlier, we can help a wounded brother who's fallen into sin, someone who needs accountability, somebody who needs you to be there for them. We could help with that. We could help with somebody who needs encouragement, who needs support, that feels like, you know what, I've been ministering, but I feel like I'm losing heart. I really need that encouragement. We can be there for them. It could be as simple as someone who needs a ride to church. They don't have the means to get to church. They need that extra help. Maybe someone needs help shopping. Help them get their groceries so they can do a daily, uh, daily living. We can maybe help someone who needs help in their home. Maybe they've, they have no idea about construction, but you know construction, and you can help them there. Maybe they need help with their car, and you can help them with that. Maybe someone needs an understanding of a passage of Scripture, and you know that Scripture well, you've studied that, and they ask for your help. Maybe you can help them with that. Maybe it's someone who needs counseling in their life, and you can be there for them because you've gone through that same thing yourself. Maybe you see someone who's taught you a lot in the Word, and you want to continue supporting that ministry, so you want to give to them, or you want to just be an encouragement to them. Maybe you have a caregiver who's overburdened by what they've gone through with the stress of it all, and you want to relieve that caregiver. Maybe you can cook for a family. They had a new baby. You want to help them out. Do good to them. Maybe you have uh, parents who just need one night off from their children and just need a break for a second. You can be there to help babysit them. And the list can go on and on and on. It's not an exhaustive list by any means. But take the opportunities that God gives you every day to do good to all people, especially those who are of the household of faith. Let's just pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you for this just practical examples that you've given us in your word of how we can live and walk in the Spirit every day, Lord. I pray that we would, this week, have people come to mind that we can do good to, Lord. I pray that if we see anyone that is in need of help, that we'd be able to be there for them. I pray that we would, uh, if we see a fallen believer, Lord, who needs help, Lord, that we'd be there to help him up. And Lord, I just pray that our lives would exemplify the fruit of the Spirit each and every day. I just pray all these things in your name. Amen.